skies over the ocean. Very good. My body lies over the sea. Gotta adjust the controls here. I see a diabolical figure seated at the controls, operating the enormous switchboard like a maniacal character out of a dream of Dante. <laughs> My body lies over... What do you mean? I'm in charge here. Over the ocean. But no idea what a sense of incredible, fantastic, unbelievable power it is to sit in front of this double-button carbon microphone connected with this 37-watt transmitter, which, when given a good wind, can be heard clearly as far away as, so 15, 20 blocks, maybe 30 blocks sometimes, the right weather. My body lies over the ocean. My body lies over the sea. My body lies over the ocean. Oh, bring back my body to me. Rest pass. Bring back. Bring back. This band would shut up. Bring back my body to me. Rest my pants. Uh, we begin tonight's proceedings with the Handy Hints and Kinks Department. Uh, we quote from a newspaper article which recently was sent to us by one of our spies. And it could very well answer a question that has been bothering many of you. Are you all set in there? All right. Watch carefully for your cue. Uh, if you're too fat... Now, I know this is a problem. Not yet. I know that this is a problem that has bothered many of you uh, throughout uh, your time. If you're too fat, the trouble is all in your mind. According to a, quote, formerly fat psychiatrist who has just written a magazine article dedicated to the proposition, think... Thin. Uh, what you have to do is uh, to adopt the right attitudes, he says, to reduce. Watch out for your friends who will not like to see you change and will probably encourage you <laughs> to fall off the meat wagon. Also, the doctor says you should substitute other activities for eating. We repeat that. Substitute other activities for eating. For example, the doctor says an excellent asset to your diet could be sex. Oh, them doctors are coming around. That ain't Castoria. They are not uh, telling you it's excellent, Shanine. Where's my kazoo? Here it is. All right.
right there. That, that'll hold them for a while there. That's pretty good, huh? Yes, sorry, Bob. Every time I play that kazoo, I get 422 letters from little old ladies who say, Dear Mr. Shepard, I have one request to make about your kazoo. The other night you asked for requests, and I have one. Shove it. Well, now, I think that's a terrible thing to say, because after all, you know, every man has to carve out his own little niche in this world. Every man has to create his own little pyramid. And uh, we have another note here that, uh, for the benefit of those of you who are Friday night victims, it says here, uh, uh, <clears throat> we are going to, would you please uh, reset that piece of music there? I'd like to salute Union City. Uh, lately, Union City has been getting a lot of attention. Uh, recently, Union City was talking a great deal about the belly dancing proclivities that are about to begin under there, uh, under the uh, aegis of the city. So would you please bring that on? Rasmus, Okay, very good. That's a nice intro there. Uh, let's see. In the Union City, New Jersey, uh, Sunday night. Listen, can you just picture the scene here now for a minute, though. Now, now, see it now. Just relax for a minute. Everybody relax there. Okay? Now, I want you to see the scene. Union City, New Jersey. Okay, you got it? Right here in the heart of pulsating civilization. Police found 50 cockfight fans, 50 fighting birds, 50 pairs of razor-sharp steel spikes, a red cloth-lined fighting pit, and all of it was in a 20-by-30-foot basement room. The police threw the whole crowd into the slam, including the, uh, the uh, fighting birds and the whole scene, and they said that some of the fans, some of the sport fans, had come as far as Chicago to be in on the big bust. Well, <laughs> I mean, can you see the scene, though? Bring it up there. Oh, gee. Can't you see all those guys huddled down there in the basement? And they got this pit, and it's red-lined with cloth, and they have these fantastic fighting cocks. Have you ever seen these fighting birds? Oh, they're wild. And they've got the razor-sharp claws. Olay, 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 and out they go. Now, I'm going to, that, that reminds, hold, cut, cut it there. Hold it, that's enough of that. That reminds me, you know, I read that piece, and I, I was reminded of something. I will never forget this scene. Uh, people say, why don't you say something about some of the things that happened to you one time when you were a grown-up? Well, I've got plenty of things that happened to me when I'm a grown-up. Let me tell you what happened one time. I'm in Cincinnati. You got the scene? All right, I'm working around, you know, and I'm, I, I, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm a good Presbyterian boy, you know, and I've come out of, I've come out of this, uh, this simple-minded background, uh, you know, the kind of background where they really, I mean, the kind of background where, where uh, the, the biggest concern is whether or not the White Sox are going to be in second or third place next year, that kind of thing. And, and I'm down there in Cincinnati working away. Everything's going fine. And uh, one night, uh, a friend of mine, after work, he says, uh, he says listen, he says, I, I, would you really like to go somewhere? Really like to have... Uh, I should uh, give him his accent. He was from Kentucky. He said, would you really like to go, go out and have yourself a good time tonight? Would you really like to have some fun? I said, no, wait a minute. Just a minute. Just a minute, Hal. I heard about them kind of girls. Now, my mother told me all about that. And I've been around. He said, no, 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 no. Now, wait a minute, boy. I ain't talking to you about girls. I'm talking to you about fun, man. 
I mean some real stuff. He said, you got, you got any money? You, you, you got $15, $20 on you? I said, yes, as it so happens, I am well healed at this point. So, well, you, you, you take that $15, $20 with you, and after work, you come outside, you meet me in my Pontiac, and we'll go. And, man, he says, I, I'm going to show you a time. I says, well, all right. You know, I'm ready to hop any direction. I'm an old Boy Scout. Says, be prepared. Uh, nothing ventured, nothing gained. Uh, you know, the whole jazz. So I'm ready to go. So that night, about 11 o'clock after I finish work, I go out in front, and there's the old Pontiac waiting, the old Pontiac station wagon. And I get in the front seat, and uh, there's a couple of other uh, square-jawed individuals sitting in the back. Really, they were blue-jawed type. And uh, they've got these slouch hats, and they're sitting in the back. And I said, uh, I said, gee, uh, Hal, uh, uh, where are we going? And Hal said, well, he said, no, 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 never you mind. You're, you're going to have yourself a time tonight. I want you to meet Bart. That's Bart back there, Black Bart. And uh, I want you to meet Slag over here, Big Jack Slag. And I turn around, I take a look at these two guys, and they looked exactly like the guys that kept chasing Gene Autry over the hills all the time. With the big black hats, you know, the, the crummy-looking guys with the mustaches that keep getting shot down. And when the Posse finally corners them at the pass. And we, we drove over the river. And, and uh, you know, this Cincinnati's right by the river there, just like New Jersey is right by the river. And we go over the river, and here, my idea, you know, the good times, uh, maybe a little pinochle. Uh, maybe we might go and, uh, who knows, we might even play a little bingo, you know, maybe go all the way out. So we drove over the river, we drove through this Kentucky town, and now we're on the outskirts of this Kentucky town. We go through Covington, we go through Newport, and now we're in the beginnings of the Kentucky Hills, which just begin right at that point. They start the bluegrass country, and we're barreling along. And, and let me tell you, when you're with three hillbillies barreling along in a Pontiac station wagon, you really know the hairy side of driving. And the hairy... Oh, and they're in there swilling beer. You know, the guys are drinking the beer in the back seat there. And, oh, they're going to have a good time. We are really going to have a surprise for you tonight. Throwing the beer out there, all the, all the cars and yelling. Well, we, we keep going. And then we come to a little roadway that's one of these little unmarked roads. just like a little gravel driveway that goes off into the woods. And so he makes the turn. We go into the woods. Gee, it's black. I said, where are we going? He said, oh, you just never you mind. You just wait, man. You are going to have the time of your life. You are going to have the time of your life. And we go through the woods, and we uh, we make a big turn, big looping turn around a pond. And there, suddenly, we are in a vacant field, and there must have been 75 cars, all battered, all hillbilly-type cars, you know, with the mud all over. You know the kind of cars that look like they've got that, that yellowish mud caked all over them? They've been riding on gravel roads for years. And all these guys, and they're from about 28 different states. And the first thing I see, we walk through, and there's uh, uh, West Virginia. There's uh, Ohio, of course, right across the river. There's Kentucky. There's Tennessee. There's Indiana. There's all those. I said, what the, what is this, you know, convention or something? You, you never mind. And he says, you, you keep your mouth shut. And you sit down and watch. You just enjoy it. Well, here is a barn. It's sitting right in the middle of the field. And there's a couple of haystacks. It looks just a bucolic scene. The moon is hanging over it. And we go into the barn, and I, you never saw anything like it. I have never in my whole born days. They had a little grandstand set up all the way around. They had seats. Yeah, a real little grandstand set up like a horseshoe. It was like a horseshoe. And right in the middle of the horseshoe, they had dug a pit, a genuine pit. And they had it lined with wood all the way around the bottom. And all around inside the pit, 
they had this dark green cloth. Uh, this cloth looked like the kind of cloth they have on the top of pool tables. It had this dark green cloth just all around. And, and then at, at the far end of this, this horseshoe, which was the open end, you could see they had these cages set up. They had about 10 or 15 cages. And in the cages, you could see just creatures. You could see them just creatures in there. And there were about seven or eight guys with blue jaws and little beady eyes, <laughs> big white hats. And they're walking around in white shirts, and they're all kind of beefy. There's something about guys that go to things like this. Either they're little skinny guys with squinty eyes, or they're great big beefy guys with pot bellies that hang out, and they wear 10-gallon hats. You know, they're the kind of pictures you always see when it says Roundup of Ku Klux Klan. You know that kind? And it shows these guys sitting in the, in the courtroom, you know, picking their teeth. And it says, there's Collie Lee Watkins, uh, a deputy sheriff, 26. And Collie said, there ain't going ain't gonna to be no, ain't going to be no damn northern Yankee tell me what to do, by God. And uh, he's sitting down there, and you can just see him, the, the tobacco juice is squirting out of his ears. Well, I walk in through this, this gauntlet. And they, they look everybody's face, and then Hal up in the front says, he's okay, he's a friend of mine. He says, okay, he's all right, all right, he's from Indiana. And so I immediately turned on my Indiana accent. I had it, you know, I said, yep, yep, I'm from Indiana. Patali. I didn't want to get, you know, I, I, I had to pass. So uh, we go into this place, and we go climbing up into the, into the, <laughs> into the grandstands. We sit there, and it's all dark in there. You see, they're very careful. They seal the doors. They don't want anybody from outside to see this light going on. And, nothing, and, then, and it's all dark. They've got the doors sealed. It's, it's hot, and boy, it's, uh, it's very close, and you could, smell the, you could smell the fighting cocks. You could smell it all in there. And th these guys are standing down in front now. There's about three or four guys. We're about, oh, maybe 15, 20 minutes go by and there's a lot of talk. And they all know each other. Hi, Luke. Hey, Luke. My God, I ain't seen you since Wheeling. How are you, boy? How are you? Oh, there's Chuck. Hey, Chuck. Hey, when you get out of El Paso, man? And this is going on back and forth. And I said, gee, I'm really in a club here. What, what is the scene? And so I kept spitting, see, because that's the only way you can pack. I'd go like that. You know, I could spit good between my teeth. I learned that when I played third grade. I'm spitting away there. And uh, playing like I'm with it, I keep scratching. You got to keep doing that. You got to keep scratching. You got to keep hoisting your pants up, and you got to pretend like your shorts are climbing up. I keep pulling them down. Hey, Luke, howdy, boy. Well, then all of a sudden the man is down there in front. He says, "All right, we are ready for the first event of the evening. All set up there, man. Can you all see all right down there? Now we're all ready for the first event of the evening." We got Collie Lee Watkins over here, and he's got his fighting cock, Big Charlie. As you know, Big Charlie has been undefeated in the last three bouts. All of you saw him at Whelan, and I imagine a few of you even saw him down around Beckley here last year. Big Charlie is going to take on uh, Dave. Uh, let's see, who who's that next one over there? I don't see a boy. Yeah, yeah, okay. He's taking on Lou Smith, uh, Big Red. Big Red is now fighting his first bout, so we don't know much about him. And the betting can now begin. Where? And immediately these guys start hollering. I'll give you a Hey, hey, boy, I'll give you $4 on Big Charlie, $7. And they're yelling and they're passing the money back. And, and they're waiting. And then all of a sudden it all quiets down and they all sit forward. They lean forward. They lean forward. I lean forward. And you can feel the tension in the air. And Collie... Old Collie comes out, the big fat guy with a big white hat. He's spitting, you know, and he's got a he's got the mail pouch sticking out of his pocket. And he's wearing these blue jeans with a big wide belt. He's got high heel boots and he's got this magnificent bird. 
Have you ever seen a fighting cock? They are unbelievable. Magnificent. That big comb and that, 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 uh, the beak sort of stands out like it's been painted a bright gold yellow. And they have round red eyes. They're, they're fantastically alert. And they've been poking them. They've been, they've been doctoring them up or doing something, keeping till, till, till now they're furious, you see. And he holds them a certain way and he's got these two big, Feet hanging down with claws. They have big, uh, uh, sharpened spikes that are that are like razors on it. You know, they, they don't use their natural claws. They have they have uh, spikes on them that they wear. Didn't you know that? And they're sharpened to razor points. And the other guy comes out with his, and they keep putting, pushing them at each other. Till finally, these two birds are going, ah, ah, you know, their mouths are open. And with that, they throw them into the pit, and wow! Up in the air they go. They both leap high in the air and they hit about four feet above the ground. And down they go. And the wings are... And you see the feathers. And then they both retreat. And the guys are... Come on, ball! Come on, ball! You kill him, Big Charlie! Come on! Come on, ball! Let me see that blood! Let me see that blood! They keep hollering. Let me see that blood! Ooh! Wow! And they slash and bang. And I sat there. Holy smokes! I'd never seen anything like this. And above it is that yellow light hanging over the whole scene. And the rest of it is all dark. And out there somewhere, there's that super highway, that road whistling past. And these people driving in their nice, friendly little family station wagons. They have no idea what's going on in this oh, way down upon the Swanee River. Oh, wow. Holy smokes. There are sights. There are sights under the morning sun. There are sights that the eye of man beholds that even the devil himself would not believe in his most debauched moments. Way down upon the Swanee River. Oh, man. Speaking of scaries, this is W-O-R, A-M, and F-M. My name doesn't matter. Let's just say I'm a highly paid executive of the Ludens Company. I must report to you that our campaign to discourage people from chewing Ludens cough drops is a partial failure. We have tried every way we know to get you chewers to dissolve Ludens cough drops slowly so the medication can trickle down slowly to give you temporary relief from coughs due to colds and minor sore throat. What can we do to make you understand... Should we engineer Luden's cough drops so that they make embarrassing sounds when you chew one like this? Should we publish the names of known chewers? Those of you out there who chew Luden's cough drops, please write us your suggestions. Address your letter to me, Mr. X, the Luden's Never Chew Society, Luden's, Reading, Pennsylvania. Mm. Did you hear what I heard? In that embarrassing sound? Did you or did you not? Or was it just my rotten, crummy, decadent mind? Turn me loose, I'm brave. Let me laugh and make love, I'm brave. Let me run through the world, flinging popcorn and pearls. I'm Prevu, and let it happen. And we'll never 
Rendezvous Perfume by Cody. You know, I heard that thing for about a month before I figured out what the heck they were singing about. That sounds like it was recorded in a barrel that was lined with 6,000 yards of cheesecloth. Underwater, that is. <laughs> Entree, boo. Holy smokes. Oh, yes, yes, we have a few others here. Oh, oh um, before we get too far, speaking of underwater, uh, don't forget tomorrow night uh, from 10.30 until midnight. Old Shep is going to be down at the limelight. And um, I have a suspicion that we may be able to pull it off tomorrow night. I have a feeling, because I can feel it welling up within me, I think we may be able to just do it. And if you are not able to get down to the limelight, I suggest you listen in immediately after uh, Lenny and his big band here at WOR. And that we may say it this week, friends. We just may do that. And uh, the limelight, by the way, is down on Sheridan Square. It's uh, right down there in the heart of the village, right in the heart of that fantastic cake of yeast where life is lived to the fullest and where poetry flows like rich, thick care syrup out of the ears of every bearded resident. You've just got to come down and see it. You wouldn't believe it. I'll tell you what a gullamoffery. And that we're at the limelight, which is right at the heart of it. It's, this is action center of the village, I'll tell you. It's all there. I, 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 for what, I could do an entire show on the stuff that's written on the walls of the John and the limelight. This is the first truly creative literary John in the business. After all, it is the village. You know, there's a lot of writers and stuff going there. So this is the limelight. The phone is going down. I'll be down there, and I think I'll do my underwater ballet. Would you hit the thing there, Dad? Right clear, taste in beer. Getting all beard up again. Another highlight, the champagne of bottled beer. The happy sound is about famous Miller High Life beer that has soared in popularity because millions more recognize the traditional quality and heritage of an unequaled, unchanging, truly great beer. Wherever people are living better, you'll find Miller High Life in handy take-home cans, on tap, or in the familiar crystal clear bottles. Next time you want the very finest, ask for Miller High Life, the champagne of bottled beer, sparkling, flavorful, distinctive. Quick reminder, one more. We have Rover 2000, which is a fine British car. And I think uh, more and more people are beginning to know what this is about. I see more of them on the road. I saw one the other day on the uh, Jersey Turnpike under full sail. And, uh, no, it really it really went whipping up there through that middle lane. You could see all these people coming to attention. When it went by. You just can't ignore the British. They are very aggressive. And uh, if you are uh, particularly interested in good automotive equipment, uh, the Rover 2000, the Gran Turismo, superb motor car, and we'll send you pictures on it. Just send your name and address to Rover here at WOR, and we'll send them pictures out, okay? In 15 magnificent colors. All right, now let's get back, okay? All set? Back to, back to work here. All right. Another one? Holy smokes, are we loaded here? What is this? Limelight Rover reading. Oh, 
Boy, what is it? We're getting more commercial here than John Gambling. What's happening? Is Are we getting the overflow? Is that what it is? It's starting to filter down here, huh? Boy, is WNBC going to be going to be jealous? Let's see. Uh, reading. Oh yes, uh, this is uh, Evelyn Woods, Reading Dynamics Institute. This is a great show, by the way. If you ever seen these nuts down there reading reading four thousand words a minute, you wouldn't believe it. <laughs> I don't know what man is trying to do, convert himself into a machine. But uh, nevertheless, since you are inefficient, you can't read as good as your computer. I would uh, suggest you visit Evelyn Woods. The Reading Dynamics Institute, they'll make you able to read up to four to five times what your reading speed is now. That means that your reading speed, your personal reading speed, will be increased upwards of maybe, oh, well, let's see. Let's figuring what you read now. I would say you'll be able to read up to 30 or 40 words a minute. You. Uh, <laughs> everybody looks at me with a dumb look. <laughs> Evelyn Wood and the demonstrations uh, for this fantastic course are held Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, the 14th, the 15th, the 16th, the 17th, at 12.30 in the afternoon and at 5.30 and 7.30 each. Look, all this jazz of what days. Why don't you just call them at TN72950, ask them about it, and reserve a seat. TN72950, and it's a very cheap date. To watch these idiots read 4,000 words a minute. It's great. Their eyeballs pop. You ought to see them. Their, their Adam's apple goes up and down, and they sweat, and they read right through the Bible in seven and a half minutes. It's fantastic. Uh, okay, fine. All right, now, can we get back now? Good, though. Good, though. Remember when we used to do radio shows? Weren't those the days? Hi, oh, George. Remember the old days? Last Wednesday? Huh? <laughs> You know, uh, speaking of that, uh, I'm going to do something very subversive here. Uh, attention. This is a subversive bit we're going to do here. In the truest sense of the word, there must be 46 million kids today who are trying to convince their old man that the really big thing today is to be a dropout. Uh, out of college, whatever it is. Sure, because there's a, there's, a certain, there's a certain prestige now attached with dropping out. It shows that you're above all this ridiculous little piddling junk. I mean, you know, stuff like... Well, you know, all these ridiculous, idiotic facts and stuff that they stuff you full of when a man is really much more sensitive than that and should, you know, you know what I'm saying, okay? And you're having a double of a time convincing the old man that being a dropout pays off because the old man is hung on paying off, you know. this is a, Have you noticed the silly arguments they keep telling people why they should stay in school, they get a better job? You see that argument they keep giving you over and over and again? And very few guys, that's the last thing that most guys who drop out want. Really, the last thing they want to do is they they want to now. For example, if they were to say that if you if you don't drop out, they'll teach you guitar. They give you guitar lessons and they'll teach you how to write folk songs. And uh, and they they're doing away with the band at the school there, and they're organizing a whole bunch of rock and roll groups. And uh, you can get in one of them. And uh, you know, they make it make it into a real shtick. Make school into something you can use when you get out, like a course in dirty stories, how to tell jokes. And they're going to give out free surfboards. And they're going to have a course in, uh, in uh, how not to give yourself an OD. And they're going to have a course in, uh, you know, how to grow your own pot and all that kind of stuff. Really have a real wild school. <laughs> it's one of those free-form schools, you know, called, uh, you know, that kind of school where they say, let the students really express themselves. Look out, they're liable to. Well, have you seen recently this guy, a uh, big guy up at Harvard? He says what we ought to do is have some drinking courses. 
in school, starting in second grade. I can see these little squirts in Miss Shields' class all bagged up to the ears, you know. And, uh, you know, they've been running through the martini section. And uh, they arrive in, in, in reading. The next, the next class is reading, of course. And I cannot see a kid sticking with Raggedy Ann and Raggedy Andy after he's belting, been belting down doubles, you know. And they've been teaching him how to mix uh, stingers and stuff. And so in the next class, you just can't get him to go with Raggedy Ann and Raggedy Ann. You gotta, you, I can see Miss Shields of today reading candy to the kids, you know, after they're... <laughs> you know? Sure, a guy wrote me, a kid wrote me a note, and he says, Shepard, you wouldn't believe it. He says, candy is on our required reading list. Yeah, in spite of it being bad writing. All right, let's go. Uh, are, are we all set there? <laughs> Things are changing. So, all right, can we give a little uh, subversive music? Um, give me that. Give me that. Let me that. Bring it in there. Okay. Cha-cha-cha-cha-cha-cha. Rasmus and Rudy. Rudy, too. Bow. Zoop. Ta-ta. Cha-cha-cha. Cha-cha. You've got to admit I'm awful arrogant sometimes. Oh, I just can't help this. I gotta get. Oh, sometimes you just get. to read you a subversive fable by one of the best subversive writers we ever had. His name was George Ade, and the title of this fable, it's a great name for a title, listen to this title, and, and uh, this is directed at you, and specifically, now you listen carefully to this. The one or two points of difference between learning and learning how. Okay, gang? All set? In a red schoolhouse back in the Webfoot district. Let that soak in there. Let them think about that for a minute. In a red schoolhouse back in the Webfoot district, it was custom to have a debate every Friday afternoon. The much-mooted question as to which does the greater damage, fire or water, had been carefully gone over by the squabs. Also, who was the heftier proposition, Napoleon or Washington? But the original standby was as follows for the eternal debate which they pursued every Friday. Quote, resolved that education is better than wealth. Well, the corporate interest got many a whack here in the knowledge works. Most of the children wanted to grow up to be like Galileo. They claimed that mere wealth could not purchase happiness. The only genuine peace of mind came from being able to call off the geological periods with the eyes closed. <laughs> Here in this little brain hatchery were two kids who were not mates. One was called Otis. The other was Bradford, or Brad for short. Otis was the boy who took the affirmative side on Friday afternoon. 
oath firmly believed that learning was the most valuable asset that a man could tuck away. Brad, however, was for the money end of the game. <laughs> but when he got up to make his talk, his vocabulary became jammed and caught crossways in the flu, and teacher would motion him back to his seat. Otis, however, could tell in well-chosen phrases why the scholar was better and happier man than the millionaire, and so he always received the vote of the judges. Now, Brad was done up, but unconvinced. He could not stand up before the district school and tell why it was a good policy to corral the coin. But he had a secret hunch that it would be no disgrace for him to go out and do the best he could. Brad had a bulldog jaw and large bloodshot hands and a neck band somewhat larger than his hat band. <laughs> he, jumped the, he jumped the stockade when they started to teach him botany. He weighed 180 pounds, and he thought he was too large to sit around and count the petals of the oxeye daisy when he might be out selling lightning rods to the yaps and making jug-handled contracts. Accordingly, he dug. Bradford is making a great mistake, said Otis, as he saw his friend tear from the institution of learning. In order to get a few worldly chattels right at the jump, he sacrifices his diploma. I shall be more foxy. I shall go right on through high school, and then I shall attend college and get a degree. When I have taken my degree, then I will be the human it. My scholarly attainments and polished manner will get me past the door and into the inner circle of the hot potatoes. As for Bradford, although it is possible that he shall have combed up a little currency, he will be a mere ordinary sordid businessman, not one, two, seven when he tries to stack up against one who has just been delivered of a thesis on the correlated phenomena of unconscious cerebration. While Brad was out in the back townships, shortchanging the farmers and buying 8% mortgages, Otis was working his way through college and living on oatmeal, except on holidays, and then he had prunes. He was getting round-shouldered, wore specs, was all gaunted up, but he never weakened. He was pulling for the laurel wreath of scholarship. In other words, the degree. After humping it for four years, he passed his final exam, and the faculty decided that he was a Bachelor of Arts. That was the day when he had the laugh on Brad. In the meantime, Bradford had been choking various people and taking it away from them. He had four salesmen under him, and he had butted into the firm. But he was still shy on botany. Inasmuch as Otis had been one of the brightest men in his class, he was offered a position as instructor in the college at a salary of $55 a month with a promise of a $5 raise at the end of five years, if he lived. Otis accepted, because the outside world did not seem to be clamoring for his services at the time, even though he was an authority on the Mesozoic period and knew all the diatoms by their first names. Often while he was burning the midnight oil and grinding out jawbreakers so as to qualify for his master's degree, he reflected as follows. It is true that Brad is making it hand over fist and wears $6 shirts and rides in a stateroom on the Pullman, but he is not a Bachelor of Arts. And one day when he is a multimillionaire, I can still look down on him, for then I will be a Master of Arts. I have known since childhood that education is more desirable than paltry gold. Although the newspapers and the general public do not seem to be with me to any extent, it is better to hobnob with the binomial theorem than to dally with the champagne supper. Well, in due time, the faculty gave him the degree of M.A. 
to what was left of Otis. And still his ambition was not satisfied. He wanted to land a doctor's degree. He knew that anyone who aspired to this eminent honor had to be a Pippin. But he hoped that he could make some contribution to the world of thought that would jar the whole educational system and help him climb to the topmost pinnacle of human greatness. Professor Otis did the dig act year after year. At the age of 49, he was still M.A. and owned a house with a mortgage on it. In the meantime, there had been revolutionary changes in the world of finance. Everything on earth had been put each into a pool. Each smooth citizen who had something that was of no particular use to him went to work and capitalized it. Brad closed out his interest for so much money that anyone else would have been ashamed to take it. Then he and some other buccaneers went down to Wall Street to have fun with several dignified gentlemen whom Brad des described as them fly eastern mugs. They succeeded in putting the skids under a number of persons who did not care to meet them socially. When Brad walked around in his million-dollar hut, he had to step high to avoid stumbling over bundles of the long green. But he never had made any further headway with his botany. It happened one day that Brad was out molting, and he dropped in at the college where his boyhood friend was now the professor of dipsychology and pelasmus. This is a likely-looking joint, said Brad, as he sized up the campus. I like to encourage these joints, because they help to keep a lot of young fellows away from business offices. I find that I have here in my best pocket a measly $50,000 that I have overlooked in changing my clothes. Give it to the main cheese. Go ahead, Brad. Tell them to have a laboratory on me. Go on. When the news got out, all the, all the big, big wigs gave a parade in their 90s. The faculty called a special meeting and made Brad immediately a doctor of philosophy. The next year, Brad put up a gym. They made him a doctor of divinity. The following year, he handed them a telescope and became an LLD. Every time he coughed, he was made some new kind of doctor. In fact, for a man with a six-and-a-quarter hat who did not know the difference between the pistol and the stamen, he was the most learned thing in seven states. Professor Otis was crowded immediately into the ditch. Sometimes he wonders, which of the two has the nub end of the argument that started way back there in the little red schoolhouse. Oh, you want to know the moral of this? The moral is, the longest way around is the shortest way to the university degree. You know, that goes against all everything that we believe in America. It just does. And, 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 and what makes it even matter, it's true. It really is true. How many times have you worked for absolute rotten skunks? I mean guys who not only would have sold their grandmother to the glue factory, they were mad because they only had one mother to sell to the glue factory. Oh, yes, I have worked for guys that made Scrooge really look like one of the Bobsy twins. I mean, the kind of guy, you know, that on his, on his lunch hour when he's out, you know, multimillionaire, he's got the credit cards. On his lunch hour when he's out, he just keeps his hand in by doing a little practice pickpocketing. 
that kind of thing. Really, oh, I've worked right there. And and you know, all the guys down in the in the in the, you know, the staff room, you know, when the when the slaves get together, when the employees, the, the little yucks get together, they all say, ah, oh, don't worry, he'll get his. Ah, uh, you know, I I don't know, I wouldn't be in his shoes for nothing. Oh, sir, boy, I wouldn't want that guy's job for nothing. He's going to get... Well, he did get his. What he got was a 38-foot yacht with a 17-foot fantail. He got a biplane with floats. He got a house on an island off the coast of Maine. He now has a 12-year-old mistress living on the east side, 17-year-old mistress living in Chicago, and a girl living on the French Riviera of indeterminate age. And uh, they keep saying, ah, he'll get his. He'll get his. He'll get his, I guess. Hmm. Yep. It's like uh, it's like all of us, you know. All of us poor little yucks as we stand there next to the water cooler. And uh, we read about presidents and kings. We read about premiers and dictators. We see the name Johnson or Kennedy or Eisenhower, you know. We say, boy. Listen, you know, they couldn't give me a million dollars to take that job. Don't worry. They won't. They will not. And we secretly know it. We secretly know that they don't get theirs. <laughs> we all secretly know it. We do. We know We know that this is a jungle and that there are tigers. And then there are squirrels. And then there are a few chipmunks. And then there are a few little mice. And then even below that, there are ladybugs. Eh. And what is so... Discouraging is that the lions don't even know about the ladybugs. Much less worry whether they walk around down there in the bushes and holler, boy, you see that big lion? He's going to get his. <laughs> he sure is going to get his. And, and, uh, and just as he says that, a big tennis shoe is coming down into the bushes. And 18 ladybugs bite the dust. And not a single lion even knew it happened. Oh, boy, it's Friday night. Yeah. Well, uh, stick in there, friend. Just keep your old knees loose. Just keep your hands ready and supple. Do a little finger exercises once in a while. You want to be able to pick up those fast ground balls, you know, when they hit them down at you. You don't want to muff your only chance. You'll have to get only one in this ball game. You'll have to catch it in the teeth. You don't want to do that. Oh, there's no worse feeling than to charge in on a ground ball in front of 42,000 people and have it roll right up your arm and into your ear. I have seen that happen. Terrible feeling, I'll tell you. Especially when you got a five and three-quarter size head. You know, a little pin-type thing there sitting on the top of your head. So be, uh, be of good cheer, friends. And once in a while, when you're in the job, just holler as loudly as you can, bah, humbug. Try it. It does good to clear out the pipes. Just keep the uh, record straight a little bit there. And speaking of the record, we'll be on tomorrow night live as a jaybird. Uh, from the uh, limelight, 10:30 until midnight here on this your ridiculous, I mean your friendly station. So uh, you know, we'll be all right. Six to one, half dozen. There, I always say.